please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to Morning Espresso. My name is Carlo Fascinati and I'll be your moderator today. For those of you that are joining for the first time, the concept of our webinar series is very simple. Every week we invite a special guest to discuss topics that matter most to you. I'd also like to remind our viewers that at the bottom of your screen, you have a Q&A function. You can ask questions throughout the webinar or of course, send us an email at nordeafunds at nordea.com. And after the webinar, of course, you can also reach out to your sales representative. But before we get to our special guest this morning, I'd like to head over to Dr. Sebastian Galli, Nordea Asset Manager, Senior Macro Strategist. Good morning, Sebastian. Oh, yeah, I think you're on mute, Sebastian. Let's see. Yes, good morning. Hey, good morning. <laughs> no worries. You? I'm good. How are you? Very fine, very fine. Well, look, look, Sebastian, you know, now you've, we've, we've been following you throughout the weeks. You've been back in Luxembourg. I'm also based here with you. The weather is starting to get nice outside. It's getting nice and warm. The heat is coming, but the heat and the weather are not the only things that we're going to be discussing today. I think you, the first topic of the day that I would like to discuss with you is these rising tensions between the United States and China. What are, what are your thoughts uh, with what's going on? Well, we're continuing a process that we had and us and many others have been expecting, which is a ramping up of these tensions between the two. The latest move by China is to stop for uh, at least for a while some imports of agricultural products from uh, the United States. This all should be seen within the perspective of US presidential elections. The anti-China sentiment is uh, one that polls very well with Republicans and particularly with re the military and the military families, which actually are a sizable amount of people, that the president has had some difficulties uh, uh, sizing up or basically uh, getting on board, uh, particularly so after uh, some mismanagement of the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So some things are, are probable within that, this. One of them is uh, that these tensions need to be maintained also from a Chinese side. This is an economy which is slowing down. And that means that there are factions within China which will seek, uh, a, if you want a more nationalism, uh, to, to basically palliate other issues. And that, way, that wing has to be fed to some extent. But both sides, both the US and the Chinese side, realize that the uh, real confrontation is not in their interest for the present because the would have a very significant negative impact on the equity market and on the Chinese side because they still depend a lot on trade. And, and Sebastian, look, I know that you don't have a crystal ball and of course we can't forecast so many months in advance. However, obviously we have the US elections that are, are, are gonna be coming uh, in, a, in, a, in a few months. Uh, what do you think sort of, what, where are we headed in terms of for the outcome? And, and secondly, what could this mean for the markets? We have no crystal ball. And just this morning, I had to fill a survey, for example, asking us uh, many things on the Fed, but also on the odds for the U.S. elections. But there are some facts which are uh, somewhat clear. The problem both from the Republican and the Democrats side is the ability to bring people to vote. And the Republicans typically do vote, so that's not much of an issue, uh, but it is an issue. And the Democrat side have a much larger issue in motivating people. They do come out 
for Obama, there's the Obama effect. Uh, they will come out for causes uh, and the strife that we're seeing in uh, the United States at this point in time probably does eventually help uh, the Democrats to motivate people to win. So all in all, maybe a bit of positive because of the posture of the president in the short term, more democratic uh, in the in the next few weeks. The odds are still very uncertain. The Financial Times argues that uh, Trump will be defeated in a landslide. Uh, he's a very able politician, so it remains to be seen. And if we bring up uh, your slide that you wanted to share with us uh, today so that the Chinese are letting uh, their currency slowly weaken, what do you expect uh, from, uh, from China and the United States? What do you think their next moves will be, uh, having already gone through phase one, where we could you know, say safely uh, that the United States came better on the better side of that deal? What do you, what do you think? Well, first, you have to put into context that the Chinese leadership is a, is a very able one. And there are some things they can do. Um, and one of the things they can do is let their currency weaken. You're talking about two, 3% over six months. Um, so not very much. It alleviates some of the pressure on the Chinese economy, but it is a, not a, a gigantic thing. On the more effective one is to fight the battle that people don't expect. And this is in Hong Kong. And that would be removing the Hong Kong dollar, replacing it by either a peg to the renminbi or um, to replace it fully by the renminbi. It has little impact on Hong Kong. Uh, it has a huge impact psychologically on the concept of Greater China, which has Macau, Hong Kong, and, uh, and Taiwan in it. And so it's an easy win uh, with very little loss uh, from the point of view. It, we know that the phase one uh, deal is in deep trouble. Uh, Forbes, which is quite close to the Republicans, argues that the deal is, is dead, for example, so putting pressure on, the, on the, the government to eventually do something about it. Uh, and the odds are the US will continue to come back on this theme every two to three weeks, putting some pressure on, then relieving it, then restarting it uh, with a view to the uh, US presidential elections. And, and Sebastian, I think uh, now shifting gears a little bit, going back towards Europe, tomorrow will be a very important day. Uh, EU leaders will be meeting to discuss uh, this proposed uh, EU economic rescue or recovery package. Uh, when we first spoke a, a week or two ago, we were talking about 500 billion. Now we're talking about 750 billion. Uh, what are your thoughts? What do you think the outcome of tomorrow's meeting is and go, looking forward? And the, the way I, I look at Europe is as a completely disjointed uh, turtle moving very slowly. And it's a beautiful turtle, but it is a turtle, which means it does move very slowly. And that is the nature of an arrangement between many, many countries. And so you should take it for exactly for what it is. It does move and it does a magnificent uh, job as doing it. 750 billion sounds like a lot. a lot. Some countries will be opposed to it. They haven't gone very publicly against it. And the odds are that they will have to peg down this amount from 750 maybe to 500. So that's one thing that uh, is likely. Does it make a difference? It makes some difference. 500 billion is what is expected on Thursday by uh, the ECB. And they will uh, probably deliver more. So we actually expect the ECB to surprise positively. This is what you need to do. By 600 billion, tweaking the uh, arrangement and uh, so-called PEP, which is the quantitative easing program, um, maybe a uh, some arrangement on the corporate bonds. They're very vague on what they're, on what they're uh, buying versus sovereigns and the likes. And very importantly, they will most likely ask for support from uh, the European Union to have a credit program, one that is backed by the credit of the European Union. That will allow them to deal with the likes of Italy should they be downgraded significantly. Uh, and, and, so in, and also moving to high yield if it's uh, necessary. So it should also be a fairly fascinating ICB meeting.
And so let's maybe now go back to, to our key takeaways of today. Uh, and as always, Sebastian, if you uh, would like to add something to it or, or you disagree, please, please let me know. Uh, but for our viewers, for the first, first portion of this webinar, for the macro part, uh, key takeaways for, for Sebastian's part of the, of the session is obviously cyclical, cyclical, there are cyclical tensions between the United States and China, implications being obviously that uh, these are quite secondary to our main theme of a, a China-led rebound in, in Asia-Pacific. Right, Sebastian? Yes, that, that's an important point. Uh, we have several themes and they kind of work. And the, the one of them is that China is rebounding. It is in the process. It's a slow process that will come in with a lag in the Asia Pacific. It'll help the middle class, which we are basically focused on, as well as the IT, uh, or if you want to call it gross uh, sector. And I think these forces are much stronger than what you're seeing on the political side, because neither side has an incentive to basically blow it out of proportion. And of course, also, there's going to be more measures coming from China. Uh, we were discussing a little bit before. Obviously, it's up until now, it's been a little bit muted. But now we see that uh, the balance of risk suggests China is waking up and arising. And there will be more measures of growth uh, that will be coming uh, uh, along in the next uh, coming weeks uh, after being a very, uh, taking a very uh, cautious posture. Right, Sebastian? Yeah, and the critical side is they've been very cautious led to basically the local entities uh, load up on debt to do projects and the light on fiscal federal side. They haven't done that much. On the monetary policy side, they haven't actually done that much, probably with a, a view that the real estate market is, is a bit overblown. Um, and that suggests to us, because the, the balance of risk is not necessarily very equal, that the government will basically uh, spend some more. And I think they, like the Russians, the Chinese are focused on the overall level of debt, particularly the federal debt, uh, because they have a, a view which is very Cold War based, that you need to be in a posture uh, to, to be able to respond if there is a significant amount of conflict. And if you have a lot of debt, then you're in deep trouble. Uh, and I think this will, and we will see them spend more. All right, Sebastian, thank you as always for your very insightful uh, macro update. Uh, as we can see, there's a lot on the agenda these days, a lot of tensions arising globally. So we will be happily coming uh, back to you uh, week in and week out for your very uh, insightful analysis. So until next time, thank you so much, uh, Sebastian uh, Galli. Thank you. So now I'd like to go to our special guest of the day, uh, being Eric Peterson, Head of Responsible Investments at Nordea Asset Management, joining us from Copenhagen, Denmark. Good morning. Hi, Carlo. Good morning. And how are you? I'm uh, stoked to uh, talk to you about uh, the thing I love best, what I, what I do here and what we do in the team, in the ESG team. So uh, I'm looking forward to this talk. Well, it's, it, look, for me, it's, it's a pleasure always to speak with you, and it's always a pleasure to share with, uh, with our many clients all over the world that are joining us uh, how much work we've done uh, in ESG. But of course, we can't start this conversation without discussing the elephant in the room, obviously COVID-19 and in relation right. to, to, to ESG. Uh, recently, last week, I was reading uh, with an article from the Financial Times uh, saying the title, I couldn't, couldn't say it better, coronavirus is strengthening the hand of ESG investors. With that, I would like to segue into sort of my first question to you is, okay, in March, we saw this uh, quite steep sell-off in the markets, obviously due to, to the COVID worries and concerns on the economy globally, but we also saw ESG strategies in general uh, performing better than the general market. Can you tell us a little bit what you think uh, sort of what happened and do you think this is a one-off? Yeah, I think, I mean, this crisis is, is, it's a moment in time that you could say we've been preparing for a uh, 
uh, over all these years that we refined and built out our, our ESG approach at Nordea. Uh, and, and looking at the graph you have on the screen right now, uh, on the left-hand side, what you see is that, that ESG strategies have outperformed. Actually, they have for the last 10 years or so, if you look at it at the index level, uh, but, but, but quite clearly also in the sell-off during uh, the, the, the first couple of months or, or weeks and months of, of the corona crisis, uh, we saw ESG products, ESG stocks, companies with with uh, uh, a good handle on the ESG issues performing better than the general market. Uh, and I think that's that's been fantastic to watch because it's, it's something that we have been saying that they, they would, uh, hoping that that would be borne out by, by uh, uh, by reality. And, and and the thing is that these companies, I mean, obviously, part of it is that we don't have very much traditional energy stocks uh, in, in, in these types of investment uh, portfolios. Uh, you don't have your oil companies and so on. Another part is what you see on the right-hand side of this, this slide here. It's it's the softer parameters, uh, the social ones, where you can see that, that companies that, that uh, for instance, uh, have good labor relations, uh, that, that they generally treat their shareholders with respect, uh, are more resilient in a crisis like this. And, and, and typically, these companies also have good procedures, and they just, you know, they have the bandwidth to, to handle whatever problems the world might throw at them, including, in this case, a global pandemic. And, and, and Eric, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very good observation. And, and, and not, of course, we know that the pandemic is serious. It's impacting lives uh, everywhere and also the economies. Uh, but in relation to ESG, do you think this will be good or bad for ESG going forward? No, I think very importantly, uh, it wasn't just performance that ESG investments, uh, uh, you know, had, to, you know, are having a good crisis as, as, it, as it were. Obviously, there's nothing good about this crisis, but, but uh, it wasn't just a performance that was good. Actually, net flows were also good. So the trend from, from last year, uh, where we saw net outflows actually from traditional equity funds, but net inflows to ESG themed funds, that has continued uh, through, through uh, the corona crisis. And, and effectively, uh, what we see now, we, we even at Nordea as well, you know, we, we've seen money coming into to, to these funds. We've won some very large mandates uh, in, in the last couple of weeks uh, and months. So, so, so basically, investors are voting with their feet. They're walking into uh, the ESG area, you can say. They're saying yes to ESG. And I think that the view that you still hear sometimes that, uh, you know, you heard it after the global financial crisis, this is a little bit the same way and that it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of resources from our societies to deal with, with, with this pandemic that now we can't afford, for instance, climate action. I think that's just plain wrong. I think it's the other way around. And I think people realize that because to be honest, uh, even the Corona crisis is an ESG issue, right? There's a public health issue in there. Uh, there, there's something about habitat destruction. Uh, there, there's something about biodiversity. There are a lot of th themes that that really uh, touch on 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 what we are talking to companies about when we engage with them in the ESG space. So, so it, it's no wonder uh, that this would focus uh, both investors and the world at large, as well. Take the European Union and the European Commission as an example. It may be that that some of the sustainable finance agenda from the European Commission will be uh, held back a bit because obviously it's the same people who have to deal with that who then have to deal with, right. with the packages for Corona and so on. But but the moment they're done with that, it's it's not like this agenda is going away. It's not like the climate's been fixed magically in the meantime, is it? 
And, and Eric, actually, so we have one, one of our, our, our first questions coming in from, from a client, but I think it's a very appropriate moment. Right. Uh, and, and, and they're saying, okay, if investors are buying into ESG companies, are you maybe not afraid uh, that by holding these same stocks, they, they hence might be creating a bubble? Yeah, that's, that's a question that I, I get often. And I think, um, uh, first of all, a bubble is, is something that, that, that pops and that bursts. I don't think there's anything bursting here. I think there may be some kind of, of, of momentum effect. And I think, for instance, the taxonomy coming out of the European Commission uh, might create, uh, you could say, some, some, some extra demand for the companies that, that, that score well in relation to that. So, yes. But on the other hand, it's still only a very small percentage of, of total right. overall assets under management that are invested in ESG stocks, only a small uh, number of, 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 of companies. So, you know, I think that it's a long time. There may be a bit of, of momentum effect there, but I think there's time to still uh, ride it for the next, let's say, five or ten years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe, and, and I think this will happen, ESG will become mainstream. It is becoming mainstream already if you look at where the money is going. So, so yes, uh, maybe at some point uh, we won't even be talking about ESG anymore. There won't be this premium that, that maybe you see today. Uh, but, but I think there's still some way to go and I'm, I'm not afraid that this is going to pop because, as I said, uh, the, the climate's not going to be fixed for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years, right? So, so as absolutely. long as we haven't fixed the climate crisis, there's still going to be a demand for the type of stocks that, that are positive towards that. And, and I'm glad you, you, you mentioned this, that, you know, that, it, you know, investors are voting with their feet and they're moving into this. And I think it's also important for, for our, our uh, viewers that are maybe a little bit less familiar with our journey. In fact, uh, and you and I have been with Nordea for a very long time. Our journey actually began a long time ago, all the way back uh, in 1988, when we launched our first sector screen funds. Uh, then that was for the Swedish church, yes. It's for the Swedish church. In, two, in 2007, we were one of the first signatories of the United Nations Principles of Responsible Investment. I was there myself when we signed that, yeah. And in 2008, uh, before before everyone uh, jumped on, on, the Greta, on the Greta train, you know, we launched the first global climate and environment strategy. In 2009, the launch of the responsible investments team and all the way in 2011 to the first launch of the our stars ESG first equity fund and emerging markets I mean I could go on all day but it's just to give you a sample that you know we didn't just jump on this bandwagon yesterday but we've been laying the groundwork no, as a, a Nordic company for years right it's been a fantastic journey and I mean as I said I'm, I'm, I'm completely stoked to be able to, to sit here and talk about this because uh, I mean if you ask me we have the best team in the industry uh, seriously we, 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 we've got we're, there's 15 16 of us now we're actually just hiring someone uh, again for the private equity side and this will just grow and they're seasoned professionals uh, who've been working with these things for a very long time uh, as I said, I was there myself uh, back in 2007 when we signed. That, that at that time we didn't have an RI team as such, right. uh, and and this whole journey of ESG integration that we've been on for for more than 10 years now, uh, it's it's you know, you think you're. I'll be honest with you. When we signed it, we thought uh, we're pretty well there. We're a Nordic bank. Uh, I guess, you know, we're not doing anything wrong. We're not evil. So we can just sign this and we'll be okay. But then you realize what it takes to really integrate ESG into to your investment processes. And I'll be honest with you and say that we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're sort of here uh, when it comes to all of the funds of Nordea and, and right. the general, uh, you know, our, our general AUM, our general portfolio. And then with the STARS funds, which are this, the subgroup of funds, the STARS funds and the global, global climate and environment strategy, the funds where we have uh, the most hands-on ESG approach, that's where we've got like the, 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 where we take the integration all the way. 
uh, and I right, think and actually perhaps, further than... Here, you, perhaps here you can talk about that ESG integration. How, how does that work in practice? Yeah, but the thing is that, that uh, you know, often what you see is, is that you, you, you have uh, uh, an ESG or responsible investments or, or sustainability department, which, which works a little bit like a compliance office. Uh, so, so they'll be sitting uh, someone based on, 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 on often also for, with the smaller managers, of course, on some external ratings, but also some of the big players. And it's, it's, it's going to be an exercise of seeing, can we invest in this or can we not invest in that? And, and that typically often comes as, as a second, you know, an afterthought after uh, some, some portfolio manager has, has fallen in love with the stock. And, and then uh, there'll be this, this adversarial relationship between, between the ESG people, the sustainability people and, and, and the PMs. And, and, and we're, what we're doing here is the exact opposite because we, we, we're literally sitting next to each other on the floors, both in Copenhagen and in Stockholm, which are our two investment centers. Uh, and, uh, when, when, you know, the, the, the idea for to invest in a stock or, or a bond can come from the, the, the portfolio manager, him or herself, it can come from, from, from the analyst on the financial side, it can also come from my team. And uh, once they've debated this, and, and again, they, they, they talk, you know, on a daily basis every day about all the, 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 the stocks in the portfolio, uh, they'll actually company, or they, they'll contact the company uh, typically together, uh, very often it's the case that when they make the first engagement call and the first call to talk to to uh, one of the companies that are uh, that we're looking at for for investment in the stars funds, uh, it'll be the financial analyst and the ESG analyst doing that together, discussing the case afterwards, and. Uh, uh, to, to be honest, stepping into each other's territory, because by now, right. with this long experience that you talked about, uh, the, the uh, uh, for instance, the, the, the emerging stars, I mean, that's that's been running since, uh, is it 2011, if 2011, I yeah, remember yeah. correctly? I mean, that's, that's, that's for uh, almost 10 years, so, uh, and, and we have some of the same people in that, actually, that we did in the beginning. Uh, Juliana has been there for, 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 for many, many years, and also some of the same people on, on uh, the ESG side, so, this it's integration to an extent where I'll say that that I, I you know you can always take it further and of course we're working on refining our approach all the time uh, but 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 it's 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 beyond what I've seen uh, you know in very many other places in ministry let me put it that way and and and, and Eric I think it's really important you know you're in the office today because of our limitations of COVID-19 uh, we can't be out in the field but you you've been out in the field uh, you, you're very passionate about it you know we put together uh, a slide with some photos of a recent field trip that you did last year which I believe is maybe one of the ones closer to your heart do you, do you mind maybe sharing with our with our viewers you know that field trip and 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 what what would it meant to you? Yeah, this this uh, this was when we went. Uh, we we had Vale, the the Brazilian mining company, uh, having within the space of a few years their their second tailings dam uh, breaking, and, and in this case uh, in the town of Brumadinho, uh, you know, hundreds of people just crushed under sludge, and and, and basically the, the 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 river contaminated. Uh, just a, a horrible story, and, and this was actually not a stars engagement. This was what we call uh, our, our norms-based engagement. So, so this was an engagement uh, for for not just for the stars funds, but for the whole portfolio of Nodea, where we have you know certain limits on on, on, on what types of companies can we actually hold, even in our even in those portfolios that we don't market as ESG as such. Uh, we, we we still have certain standards and and. 
when this happened for the second time for Vale, uh, we decided to do an on-site inspection. Uh, so we went to Brazil and, and not to waste the money or the, the, the carbon dioxide. We, we also saw uh, seven or eight other companies while we were there. Uh, but, but the main focus was, was Vale. So we went, we asked them if they would meet us locally in Bromadinho where this mine uh, was located. Uh, they, they declined uh, to meet us there. So we went anyway. And what you see in the pictures is, is uh, uh, in the top left-hand corner, well, this this is the sludge coming out of the the uh, the B6 dam that uh, that came down uh, and then just you know, rolled through this valley and and took away people's houses and so on. And uh, ironically, uh, the the first people uh, who 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 died were uh, the workers in the mine, including some of the safety people sitting in the cafeteria right underneath that dam that were just crushed within seconds. Uh, horrible, horrible story, and 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 the picture is from you know this is is, is uh, six uh, eight months later, uh, where you still have this huge team of of uh, uh, military police and firefighters and so on, just to, just still digging and finding dead people under the mud. Uh, it's the camp on the left hand side at the bottom there, where where, where uh, the, the the command center of the whole rescue operation. At, at that point, it wasn't rescue anymore. It was. Um, yeah, just of, you know, finding remains and identifying remains and so on. So uh, we we spoke to local uh, communities. The, the the top right hand uh, corner, what you see there is is uh, us meeting uh, the the uh, families of of some of the some of the families that had lost family members in uh, in this disaster. Uh, uh, yeah, a very emotional experience. What they, they, they basically they they brought pictures of of their loved ones, which they spread out uh, on the floor. This is what you see in the picture, and and, and we uh, we spoke to them because clearly we we were there to 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 get their impression and also to 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 gauge the extent to which Vale was actually engaging with them and, and making sure that compensation was paid out, that there was, uh, you know, uh, mental health assistance and so on available. And, and that there, there were some, uh, some delays and some, 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 something in the approach uh, that, that we thought uh, from, from the company was more adversarial than it needed to be uh, with these people, uh, which we took with us. And we spoke to uh, the mayor, that's what you see in the, the, the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, also quite a, a few things there uh, that, 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 that we had a hard time with uh, accepting. Uh, for instance, we as investors had more complete information on the plans that Vale had in regards to, to closing the mine in the town than the mayor himself, uh, who uh, obviously uh, for, for his municipality depends on, on tax revenues and, and on the mine as a, a place of employment for people in the city. Uh, so, so we took some information from him as well, and 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 we spoke uh, to to the rescue workers and all that. Uh, and then we went to Rio uh, to to Vale's head office and had a meeting with them there. And 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 we put it pretty bluntly to them that they needed to do something to to speed up uh, the the payment of compensation. Uh, we put it to them that they needed to make sure that the level of information was so that 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 uh, you know no. Uh, no conspiracy theories and, and, and so on could, could develop and then that they kept local authorities uh, on the level really on, 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 on what their plans were for the town. At that point they were telling us that, that, that they had put aside uh, literally billions of, of reais, uh, Brazilian currency, to, to, to uh, support the town and, and, and building other types of industries, primarily tourism. 
once the mine closes because they intended to use the mine as a, a receptacle for, for, for the remaining sludge. So uh, obviously you can't dig any more iron ore once uh, you, you filled it up with sludge. And the final thing that, that, that we pressed them hard on, which, which we also got uh, from, from the new management, has to be said that the, that the previous management responsible for uh, these, these failings right. and safety had gone by the time. Um, and, and that's also what you see in the news today when you see that, 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 that there are judgments coming down from, from courts in Brazil. This is, this is really over the, the, the previous management of, of Vale. But final thing I want to mention is that we got Vale to commit to, to uh, become part of the Tailings Dam initiative uh, sponsored by the Church of England and some other uh, large investors where, where effectively you have a central uh, supervision of tailings dams from, from, from a lot of uh, mining companies around the world uh, and where you make sure that the inspection and the status of those dams is up to standards and, and can't just be handled as it was in the Vale case by the local management of that mine. That's right. something that Vale also changed. They, they moved the security organization from being under the local managers at the individual mines to being a central uh, function at, at, at the corporate head office, uh, which went directly to the CEO and the board. So, so they did some changes and we were able to, to, to reinstate them. We had them in quarantine at the time. We kept them in quarantine for a number of months, but, 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 but now we, we can invest again. Uh, in, in Tuvalu, not in the stars funds. They're, they're never going to be a stars company, but 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 we can invest in them in, in our uh, regular funds, as it were, the ones that don't carry a, a special ESG label. Uh, thanks, Eric. I think that's you know, first of all, I think it's 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 a good uh, example of ESG in the in practice, and in particular, uh, we hear about people doing engagements and going into the field. But this is, I think, this was a particularly worthwhile one uh, to to share with 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 our viewers. Switch, switching gears uh, a little bit uh, back to the to the COVID. Obviously, COVID has created uh, special situations for a lot of companies. Have you engaged uh, in any particular way with these companies now with with COVID, or or has it more or less remained the same? No, no. What 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 we did was uh, pretty early on. We signed an investor statement, which which. Um uh, had some some large U.S. pension funds and religious organizations also as as co-signatories, other large asset managers. Where we put forward some expectations to to, to companies, which are really about uh, uh, you know behaving responsibly towards uh, stakeholders, primarily their employees in this case, uh, but 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 also uh, because it's always that way with ESG for us. It's 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 uh, I was going to say two-edged sword, but it's the other way around. It's 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 uh, uh, it's really a win-win, right? Because when when you, for instance. Uh, give paid leave and you, you, you keep your labor force on, you make sure that, that you don't just, you know, let people go and, 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 and lose uh, contact to them completely and, and just leave them hanging. Then when you're ready to ramp up again, when the crisis winds down, uh, you're going to be in a position where you can start very quickly and go back really to, to, to the production levels uh, and, and the activity level that you had before, which you can't if you need to go out and hire entirely new people all the time. So it's just logical that there are some things here that, that, that it makes sense. And, and you could say that company management themselves should be aware of this. Often they are. Uh, but but there are other things, financial resilience, 
part of those those investor expectations were that that, that people would uh, or companies would hold back on on, on stock buybacks, for instance, uh, not spend the money there, but you know keep it on hand uh, on the one hand to, to to keep staff on, but also in case that the crisis drew out for longer than expected. Right. Uh, in some cases, also holding back on, on on dividends, maybe reducing dividends or paying them out in stages, just again to to hold on to some cash, which is good to do in in, in situations like this. So those expectations, uh, we we mapped against the data set that we get from from uh, True Value Labs. I'll, I'll, right. So uh, you guys, so you guys created your own proprietary COVID tracker, right? Can you yes, explain a yes, little a little bit about it? We can share it with our investors. Yeah, what what it what it does? It's it's a it's a data set that we were offered by by one of our data providers, and 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 uh, it's it's really based on on uh, uh, media uh, activity, and 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 what you see is then in in various sectors, and we can do it down to the company level, and we've used it in, in these engagements that that we do. Uh, what what are the issues that are creating controversies or that are creating buzz uh, positively or negatively for 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 individual companies, uh, and so we base it on that. And and, and effectively, uh, we 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 bring up the COVID response wherever it's relevant in in, in, in engagements that we would do anyway uh, with the companies, for instance, that we invest in in, in the stars funds where where we. Uh, uh, for the stars, you know, we, we engage on an ongoing basis with all the companies. We need to be close to them and need to know what that, that they live up to, to the internal scoring that we've given them uh, that makes us able to invest in them in the stars funds. And, th and that also brings me up sort of to, to, to my, my last question is sort of you've highlighted already that we need to pay more attention to the social and economical dimensions, whether that's health and safety, uh, mobility, job security, and the like. How, how do you think in the stars ESG range, which include equity and fixed income, how do you see that creating impact uh, going forward? No, I, I think uh, that the, there's an argument that uh, by targeting your investments to companies that, that perform well in ESG parameters, uh, at least at the margin, you bring down their cost of capital. I, I would hope that more uh, investors would do that. Uh, and then, of course, there's the engagement parts uh, where, uh, for instance, we have some pharma companies in, in, in the portfolio. And what we would be talking to them about is that, okay, guys, uh, now you're, you're in a position, if you have some therapies or, or along the line, uh, maybe even uh, a vaccine for, uh, for, 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 for this virus, uh, you could be minting money and, and, and that'd be great for our investors because obviously the stars funds, they, they don't only, uh, you know, that the, the only purpose is not to do good in the world and so on. That's, that's part of it. But, 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 but we also try to outperform our benchmarks and we have done so for a long time. So, so obviously we're in it for the investment returns as well. Uh, so, so you know, it's good to see that that you can have an upward revision of earnings estimates in in a pharma right. company, but but on the other hand, it, again, it's 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 a question of stakeholder management and a question about resilience over time, uh, because if these companies now, you know, take a very quick uh, profit and 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 uh, to coin a phrase, uh, you know, milk this opportunity. Uh, that that's not going to be good for their stakeholder relations. It's not going to be good for their relations to 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 uh, the political system, to legislators, for 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 the framework that they're going to find themselves in uh, a couple of years down the line uh, to 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 make the profits that we expect them to make, so that we can uh, produce returns for our investors. So so there, our advice would be, uh, if you do have something that is relevant to to this crisis. 
uh, either in forms of ter therapies, vaccines, uh, you know, protective gear, whatever, uh, have respect of the fact that this is a crisis that, that 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 touches everyone here, and 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 for the reason, I mean, you don't have to even mention the the, the number of deaths uh, that that we've right. seen and the very very serious situation that some countries have found themselves in. Uh, that that this is something you you want to be careful about uh, being seen to exploit in any way. So 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 please uh, show some uh, some social conscience here and and make sure that 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 you help and and you share uh, even if it's uh, not the, the the most profitable thing to do in the very short term. Very good, thank you, Eric. So I think now we can go to our key takeaways from our session with Eric uh, this morning. Uh, again, these are uh, our reflections of, of what we think and we're seeing a trend into the market. The first one, uh, we believe, we strongly believe ESG has proven itself uh, in this crisis. Uh, that doesn't mean that this is crisis is unique. I think time and time again, in, in moments of, of, of difficulty, uh, you see ESG uh, showing, showing itself uh, as, a, as, a, as a positive force. Uh, of course, companies that are more in tune with their state Stakeholders, I would argue, also are more resilient in times uh, of stress. Uh, and We've we're seen seeing this here, yes. Absolutely. Uh, and this time, I think, and this is a very important point, the pendulum, we don't think it's going to swing back, right? We, we, I think, as we've seen, the demand, investors are voting with their feet. Uh, we don't think this is a one-off uh, that, you know, ESG is, uh, is in vogue in this quarter and then it'll disappear. The rest that, that, of the that's right. That's what I, I mean, where, what I say to people, and, and actually even before Corona, uh, uh, so don't you know? I, I get the question sometimes still that, that don't you think investors will get tired of climate uh, stocks? And I say, well, uh, probably they will when we fix the climate crisis. But that's what maybe 50 years off. So probably there's a good run still. We still we still have a good investment <laughs> thesis case behind it, uh, yeah. as well as a ESG one. Uh, Nordea Star Strategy. We mentioned we have equity and fixed income are taking ESG even further. I think even the word further doesn't do justice, as we discussed you and me, Eric. How, how yeah, much yeah. Even deeper you go, but we we have to synthesize it a little bit, right? Uh, and, and finally, we expect ESG demand to grow, continue to grow strongly, but with a focus on what is real. And I, think I think maybe one, one comment for that last part there. Uh, within the next couple of years, new EU rules are going to come online, which, which are going to ask all investment advisors to actually discuss ESG issues with their clients. So, so you know, if, if we are seeing a boost in, in demand for, for ESG investment products at the moment, which started already uh, last year, really accelerated in, in the second half of, of 19, uh, once those EU rules come into force and once, once every financial advisor starts discussing, you know, how clients feel about sustainability, feel about climate change, the demand is going to grow even more. So, so I think uh, this, this is a really good place to, to uh, start building up a portfolio and, and, and uh, you know, putting yourself in a position where you can leverage that. So thank you so much both to Eric Pedersen and Sebastian Galli for joining us today on Morning Espresso. Uh, I'm pleased to announce that the special guest for next week will sort of be a part two uh, to Eric's part one, where we will have Johan Swan, portfolio manager of the Nordea One Global Stars Equity Fund, so one of the stars products of which Eric's team uh, works closely with. Very, uh, very closely, yes. And, it, and, in, and as a reminder, as a kind reminder, you can also go to nordea.lu where you can get the latest information on our stay alert, uh, special COVID dedicated microsite, how your investment solutions uh, can be put to work uh, during these challenging times. And so until next time, thank you so much for joining us. Be well and stay safe.